and welcome to Typology. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we want to congratulate Ian on the success of his new book. The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery has sold 100,000 copies in its first year. And of course, we want to give a warm thank you to all of you who have helped to make that come true. If you haven't read the book yet, you can go over to Amazon, iTunes, or wherever your local books are sold and grab a copy. Now we have a fantastic part two to our show with Science Mike coming up. But before we get to that, as promised, I'd like to give a shout out to a few of our Patreon supporters. Jay and Rachel Norris, Roy Abdun-Nur, Rashida B., Sarah Ballou, Travis Berkeley, Madison Brockman, Kimberly Browerman, Robin Calvi, Amy Carroll, and Dave Chamberlain. Your contributions are so greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Be sure and stick around for the end of the show where Ian and Science Mike provide a few transformational tips. Really, really helpful. And I'll be sharing a few of our upcoming guests as well. And now let's join our host, Ian Cron, and pick back up on last week's conversation, part two of our episode with Science Mike. So I was on uh, a call this morning with uh, Joe Saxton, and essentially she was saying, and I'm going to adapt it for our purposes, that the Enneagram helps us know who we were before people told us who we were supposed to be. Hmm. That's the essence of it. Okay, now that, wow. I adapted that from, from an, she didn't say it about the Enneagram, but about something else, but I thought, well, that's kind of awesome. Um <laughs> You know, so what, I mean, is that, is that kind of what you're getting at? It's like you, you're, you're breaking through these structures, these, these imposed identities, these, et cetera. And, and, but, and you're getting to the core of the person, to what lights them up. And what you're also saying is, I think, which is fantastic, which is where the trauma has hit core, mm-hmm. where wound has hit core. And, and what you're saying is that there's a tremendous amount of unleashed energy in there that can be leveraged for some really cool things. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. That the, the, I mean, at first, at first when you get to the heart and the trauma, it's just bleeding. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a lot of energy there. You actually lose a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. But if you go through the process of, of facing the wounds facing what some would call like the shadow self, I guess, um, and getting in touch with that pain and grieving it and dealing with it and acknowledging it, then it becomes a scab and then it becomes scar tissue. And that scar tissue has a strength and resilience that the previous tissue did not. But Mike, Um, okay, but hold on a second. Most nines I know will have none of this. I mean, I'm just telling you, unless I suppose you, they, they don't have any choice. I mean, they hit some kind of a wall where, you know, it's either deal or you're in deep, you know, you're going to lose a relationship or you're going to lose your job. You mean like losing their entire community all at once, something like that? Well, <laughs> well okay, well, let's talk about that. Because that's what it took for me. Okay, because most nines will not go to where you're talking about unless yeah. they hit some kind of a major wall. Because Why? I mean, it's like, why would I want to muster the energy and go into these dark spaces that are going to just upset my tranquility that I've been guarding at, you know, uh, my whole life? Um, Gosh, I mean, 
How do you? Well, how, I would how say would this to, to the nines. Okay, do it, please. I would say, hey nines, you're out there, and your tranquility. Have you ever had Orogel? You know what Orogel mm-hmm. is? It's a it's an anesthetic for your mouth. You get a cold sore. Yeah. I want you to imagine that you just take Orogel, a whole tube, and you put it on a toothbrush, and you just brush all your gums and your tongue with Orogel. Okay, that's the tranquility of a nine that hasn't faced their woundedness. Mm. It's just numbness. Mm. It's not tranquility. It feels tranquil because there's no pain. But if you try to eat a delicious slice of pepperoni pizza with a mouthful of Orogel, you're not going to enjoy the pizza. If you try to drink a great bottle of wine with a friend with a mouthful of Orogel, you will never pick up the finer notes of what's happening in that drink. In the same way... That if you if you don't at least contemplate the degree to which you're treating life as basically an anesthetic, you'll never experience the joy that's on the other side of the sorrow you refuse to face. So you you ba- you have to make a bargain with yourself, and you don't have to do it all at once. Your life doesn't have to go to pieces, but if you'll start paying attention in those moments. When you're going blank, and instead of saying, why am I retreating? Mm -hmm. Making an intentional choice to push yourself back into the present, to hear that thing that was said that hurt your feelings, to see that reaction to a joke you made that fell flat, and to actually embody that that made you feel something. Mm -hmm. Although it's unpleasant in that moment, we know through neuroscience that all of our feelings are mirror images of each other. And if you're not willing to allow yourself emotional unpleasantness or suffering, you also rob yourself of tears running down your cheek at a sunset Mm -hmm. or the true joy of intimacy with someone who loves Mm -hmm. you. For every bad thing you let out of the cellar, you're more than compensated with a new high in emotional dynamic range. Woo! Wow, we just had a just sort of a, a wisdom dump in the middle of our <laughs> conversation here about nines because I think this is, I mean, these are just universal laws. These are universal spiritual mm. and psychological laws. Okay, now here's a here's a here's a question for you. Uh, you can help me solve a riddle. I I now I know how many uh, based on numbers from our podcast. Of my audience, which which numbers are most represented? Hmm. Like who most listens to typology? What what couple of numbers do you think? It's got to be fours. Um. I w- I mean I always want to say four five just because fours like I want to hear about how I'm special, and five like I want to just learn Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's this information for me to receive um i'm trying i'm trying to think who else would be really really drawn to a show yeah well it's hard because i I think the six is like doesn't want to hear it (laughs) so interestingly uh the two biggest audiences if i were just to go off numbers right of of listeners would be nines and ones no way nines and ones yep 
I projected the liturgist audience onto your audience is what happened. Is that what happened? Our our five four is just off the chart. I can see yeah. that. I can see that. So yeah. nines, nines and, and well, ones. Now, why, wow. Can you please tell me why? I understand why ones do it because ones are thinking, how do I self-improve? I need to listen to this so I can be a better person. I need to understand myself. Yeah, that makes I sense. I need to understand others better, blah, blah, blah. Please tell me why they're – I'm confused as to why my nine, the nine portion of my audience is so large. Gosh, am I a nine or not? I bet I can figure out through this podcast. Like, I think I might be a nine. But if I can just hear all the the the, the different people who are different types, I might find out I'm something else, or I might be reaffirmed that I'm a nine. Mm-hmm. I think to be a nine is to always wonder if you're really a nine or not. Mm. Um, because every story, I mean, I've listened to your podcast, and, and I find so often uh so much resonance with other voices on the enneagram and that's that's our life that's the the emotional sensors we developed to escape uh pain in the beginning end up letting us see life through the eyes of others and i would imagine that your podcast is just an incredible exercise for nines to turn those sensors up high in a way that's safe and predictable um, because they can react to the podcast, but the podcast won't react to them. Oh, that's fascinating. I also think nines are a bit probably uh, those who are on a spiritual journey, let's say, are interested in their trying to, I guess this may be true of every number, but I think nines in particular, they're just trying to unlock the they're just trying to find the key to unlock a door into the mystery of their own lives. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's hard for nines because, uh, because <laughs> I want to say this, I think nines when they're healthy are probably the most spiritually advantaged number on the Enneagram by far, mm-hmm. by far. Uh, I think that uh, nines when they're healthy because they can see the world through the perspective of every other type. When you were talking about walking outside, no no number on the Enneagram is in tune with the spiritual idea that everything belongs, that all things are mm. interconnected like nines do. Nobody. They, mm. I've never met a nine who doesn't like the outdoors. They love, they feel so connected to everything they see. They see it, they experience it in their body. They're a body type. I mean, and, and I would say that they are natural mystics. Hmm. When they're really healthy, hmm. they are natural mystics, and and I think the Dalai Lama, uh, Pope Francis, these, you know, Julian and Norwich, all shall be well, all shall be well. This sort of trust in the universe that that all ends well, you know. That's boy, that's nine when it's great, right? Wow. But at the same time, I also think they're the most challenged at waking up. Uh, I mean, every number has to wake up. That's I mean, that's the spiritual journey in in you know, it's a praises of every spiritual journey is wake up, right? So, but I think nines are in a deeper sleep, and it's it's almost like right. they're in a deeper sleep. But if they can come out of that deeper sleep, you know, you can get bummed about being in that deeper sleep. But if you do your work, even though it's going to be harder maybe than it is for other numbers, on the other side, you're the most spiritually advantaged. That's my opinion, you know, for what it's worth. Uh, I mean, I, I'll just say this is, it's hard to say as a nine, but I, um, sometimes feel spiritually advantaged. Mm. 
I sometimes feel like God feels more closely to me, more easily than I I see happen in other people's lives. It's easy for me to see God uh, not only out on a walk in the woods, but in a room full of friends uh, and and oftentimes uh, in the face of an enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I, I can't quite articulate, which is why I'm drawn to mysticism. Mm-hmm. But um, that pervasive presence of God everywhere um, is something I've un- been unable to get away from yes. since kind of doing some self-development work. Yes. So that's what you're talking about there is that beautiful, electric, urgent immediacy of God in the present moment that when you're healthy, you are really connected to. You live in a deeper state of profound conscious awareness uh, that Mm. God is an environment that is pervading you internally, externally, and uh, I just think... Yeah, I mean, I think nines do that better than any other number mm. when they're when mm. they're healthy. And I, you know, that's why I've many ways I'm like, well, geez, if I could be anything, it had to be a seven like Stephen Colbert, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, oh, or, man, or yes. a nine like you know Tick Not Han or somebody. You know what I mean? I don't know if he's a nine or not, but you get the idea. I, I just think that that yeah. you guys get to be like Jedi masters eventually. You know, <laughs> the rest of us. I'm a four. I, you know, I'm a four. I get to be. I get to be some. Somebody in rehab who wants to hurt himself. Anyway, <laughs> Jedi masters I, I wanna... who don't care about it though is the weird thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's but but that's the thing though, because it is. It, you know, I've done a study of, of uh, Tibetan Buddhism for the last five years. I've been just deeply immersed in Buddha, mm. in, in Buddhist literature, both Zen and in the, uh, the the Tibetan tradition. And again, you know, you get up to the levels of the mystics across traditions, they all start to sound alike, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, you get down into the low world of like, everyone's a systematic theologian. They all sound like they want to argue and they're all different. You get up into the upstairs of the Sufis and the, you know, the sort of the top upper echelon of some of this thinking. It's everyone starts to sound alike, you know, uh, right. and they argue less. So I guess the point I want to make is that I think that's where nines live. They, they have this ability to see the bigger landscape. I mean, sitting on top of the Enneagram, they have an unobstructed view of the la- of the land. Every other number, that's not unobstructed. It's like, I, I know this is a metaphor. I'm, I'm using it to the nth degree here, but I think it's good poetry. I think it's true mm. that they, mm. that you just see an infinite horizon that every other number doesn't. And, and, uh, but you got to work for it. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So okay, Cause I'll, otherwise you're down in the middle of the whole thing. Yes. And you can see nothing. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you got to get going, but 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 I don't want to let you. So my next question is: um, Do you, when you left this church thing, first of all, I want to know. Just give me a short answer as to why you left it. I mean, did you make an announcement that you were leaving? Because that's not very ninety. I mean, a nine would no. A nine could go for years saying they still believed when they didn't. In order to remain I, I connected, <laughs> okay, right, to remain connected to the group because that's survival. So, what happened, man? How did you get? What? Why? How did you leave? Two years, I pretended to be a Christian when I was in fact an atheist, precisely to preserve those social connections. That's so weird that you just said that because 
I didn't know that was a nine thing. That's just what I did. And then I had um, a spiritual awakening through a mystical experience. Um, I saw God in the form of a, a bright light. Um, and that, that that's metaphoric speech at best. I can't mm-hmm. really describe what I saw. Mm-hmm. And then I, I felt myself in the presence of God. And um, I thought I had brain cancer as in response to that experience. So I, I asked a, my neurologist for a CAT scan and an MRI, and I got one, and I didn't have any brain tumor, and I was very upset. And uh, so now I had to, like, reconfront this spirituality, this this religion I'd let go of. And it was now in a much more uh, mystical place. My, my faith was actually kind of completely mystical. The first... Um, things that made me feel connected to God again were actually Sufi mystic writings. Mm. Um, and then I kind of laddered down back into Christian mystics and then back down toward Christian theology. But the heart of the whole thing was mysticism. Well, my church was Southern Baptist. So when you have this beautiful experience and you go to explain it to your friends and family about a mystical oneness and unity that connects all things that we're calling the Christ, that's fine. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't go well. It does not go well. So um, it led to every Sunday being conflict, 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 where I could either lie and say that, never mind, I, I was wrong, or I could be true to this awakening and continue to have conflict every time I went to church. Mm. And people calling for my resignation from different things I did in the church, and uh, people stopping my wife in the grocery store saying they were really praying for our family because of all you know, I was doing. The, the word, the phrase false prophet or false teacher started getting thrown around. And so uh, I realized that the only way to honor that community uh, was to leave it. So I did, uh, and and many people in that church were very excited that I left. Many people, perhaps even a slightly larger number, were grieved that I left. Um, but once I was gone, you know the the phone didn't really ring. I didn't I didn't keep in touch with many people in that community who had been. I mean, they they they, they I got married in the church. My children were born in that church. I watched my oldest daughter come out of the waters of baptism in that church. I mean, all these cherished memories. These were the people who were there for my family when there were deaths or illnesses. And they were suddenly gone. Mm. Um, so what happened? Tell me, tell me the, what was the moment at which you said enough is enough, regardless of what this is going to cost me? I have to do this. What would, did you have a Luther moment, you know, a here I stand moment? What, what, what happened? There, I was teaching high school seniors and people wanted me to resign from that. So I did. And I was playing bass in the worship band and some people said they wouldn't play in the band if oh. I continued to play. So I stopped. Mm. And, um, I just sat in the pew, and then when I would try to go to Sunday school classes, people would complain that I was in their class, so I'd move to another class. 
Oh. And then people would, would complain I was in that class, so I'd move to another class. And I realized there was no amount of invisible that would make this okay. Oh. It was impossible for me to hide my presence from everyone in the church. And um, so I decided to move on, take my kids out of the only faith community they'd ever known. And uh, suddenly my family were um, spiritually homeless and exiles, which mm. was really strange to go from like Deacon's family to uh, the brunch club. But that's, 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 uh, that's how it played out. Wow. Because, you know, what, what, what you, in a way, what you're describing, it, it not, it not a, it's not a terribly dramatic way externally, but nine, <laughs> no, but nines have these moments of what's called right action. Mm. You, do you know about that with nines? I don't know. Oh, okay. So right action is a, a, a big theme with nines. Okay. So um, right action means, you know, nines will go with the flow and, you know, go along to get along. But often, sometimes, and it only happens a few times in their lives. It could be three, four times in their life. They have a moment where it's like, enough is enough. I, I, you know, here I stand. And it, it surprises mm -hmm. people when it happens. But literally, they have, a, they have a, you know, kind of a Rosa Parks moment or whatever you want to call it. It's this moment where they say, I am taking my stand. And regardless of what it will cost me in terms of conflict, being disliked, being disowned, here I stand. I'm not moving. And when they make that decision, a nine is not moving. <laughs> They are not moving, and it's called right action. Well, I had that moment. All right. <laughs> um, I lost my faith. I reevaluated how I saw the world morally, and I realized um, I had no reason as an atheist to be against same-sex marriage. And then I came back to faith through this 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 mystical experience. And I couldn't get back to the place where I had a problem with same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. And here I am, a Southern Baptist deacon. And before I told anyone about seeing a bright light, the first thing I did uh, was on Chick-fil-A day. I don't know if you remember that a few years back. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I I'm feeling this coming. I released uh, like a 5,000-word blog post on why I thought there was oh. absolutely no issue with same-sex marriage or Christians mm -hmm. being gay. Right. And um, that went over like a lead balloon in my faith community. <laughs> mm -hmm. I bet. Yeah. Yes, I bet, uh, it, I bet it did. But I would not be moved. I would say, you can disagree with me on this, and I can understand why you would, because I used to agree with you. You'll just be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's really what started uh, all the conflict was the fact that I was resolute that I was not going to be a part of LGBTQ people being pushed to the margins of the church or even pushed out of it completely. Mm. That, on the other hand, I was going to be an advocate for their full and unconditional inclusion. And it stunned everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, not only because, to everyone's mind, I was a good Southern Baptist, but to the fact that Although I would talk about it as much people 
wanted to, I was completely resolute and immovable on the subject. Yes. So that's that's a nine in right action, because normally what a nine would do is merge with the viewpoints or the opinions and the preferences of whomever they were with. So if you were a good Southern Baptist nine, chances are you would just simply merge or fuse with the opinions of whoever the, your crowd was or whoever you were married to, or your partner, mm-hmm. you, know, you know what I mean? And you would just kind of almost quote the opinions of the people that you heard around you to avoid conflict or disconnection from them. Now, what you're saying is uh, you had a moment where it was like, I don't care. I know what I know, what I know, what I know, and this is what it is. And I could care less whether or not you agree with me or not. This is, this is where I stand. And it's a very powerful thing when nines do it. People pay attention. Yeah, it ended up uh, costing me pretty much everything socially um my entire social world um but it also kind of led to us taking action on that and the liturgists and if you've heard about that show at all uh we had an episode we talked about lgbtq equality um and that episode has been downloaded four million times yeah i know that episode well uh, Mm -hmm. And we've had thousands and thousands of people write in and say that it changed the way they view that topic. Mm -hmm. And if thousands have written in, we know there's many more who haven't written in. And that that ended up being like a a measurable move towards justice in the church world, especially in the evangelical church. Mm. And um, that's what is is remarkable to me. Uh, as a nine, that's why I want to encourage nines to to not narcotize themselves and instead move towards self-awareness to facilitate that transformation from a passive source of narcotic peacemaking to an active source of peacemaking mm. in the world. Well, that's about as good a place as I could find to stop. I, I, I mean, I could have this thing go on forever, but uh, I, I know you, you, you've got a life to live, and I, I got a, a life to live. And, and but I want you to know that mine's been enriched today by, by speaking to you. I, I, oh, I always sort of end a, uh, a show by trying to give people some, you know, maybe words of encouragement or words that will help them on the the journey toward becoming their true self, finding to live Mm. in essence. Right. Um, You got three things you would tell nines. I mean, you've told them a lot, but just maybe just two or three sentences on each. You know, if you're a nine and you want to grow, if you want to wake up, how's that? I mean, if just to live spiritually, a a conscious life spiritually, what would you tell nines to do? in terms of daily practice or anything, just to kind of facilitate it? I would tell you, uh, my fellow nines, um, plan your day in advance mm. and make make a daily routine that, that you make every day similar because that, that order will let you explore and feel safe. Mm. So I'd first say be orderly. Second, I would say be present. You know, start meditating, start Mm -hmm. doing mindfulness training, something that encourages you to stay in the moment so you can gain awareness of when you're disengaging, so you can be aware of why you're doing that. Wonderful, wonderful. Keep going. And then third, I would probably say, um, you know about your inner sanctum, but look under those floorboards. Mm. What grief and what anger are you pushing down? And why are you so afraid of those feelings? Why is it 
that you're convinced if you get angry, you'll literally kill people. Mm. Um, perhaps instead, what you're doing is avoiding the energy other people have to act and move in the world because you're afraid of your emotions. So in a safe environment, maybe even a professional environment, get in touch with that anger and that sadness and experience them. And in doing so, find the ability to escape this laid back sloth posture and move into shaping the world into something that is more at peace. Mm. Oh, that's good. Now, Oh, woo. I'm feeling really, I feel, I'm feel. I don't know. I'm feeling like I'm, yeah. So I, I have a, so now to a completely mundane question as we close out. On the liturgists and on Ask Science Mike, do you, you guys use Patreon? We do, yeah. Okay, do you do it on both shows? Yeah, both shows. Okay, so we've just started Patreon. Tell, tell people what Patreon is, so I don't have to be the dope pa- that tells what it is. Patreon's a crowdfunding platform, so uh, you've heard of Kickstarter that lets people make amazing things once. Patreon is like Kickstarter, but more of a subscription. You commit to a monthly amount that helps people make great things on an ongoing basis. Like typology or the liturgists or Ask Science Mike, right? Precisely, yes. Exactly. So, my friends, if you didn't, listen, if you just listened to this episode and you didn't get something out of it, chances are you're either dead (laughs) and someone hasn't told you to lay down yet. Uh, But if, in fact, you are someone who did get something out of it, and this is content that matters to you, you, if you think that this is somehow... Uh, a generative conversation that's that that is is helping to seed uh, compassion and empathy and understanding mm. and to help people become their level best i mean i want you to go to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash typology and just i mean seriously a buck five bucks whatever it is we will give you some bonus content but i'm just telling you well, first of all, I just think this is the future. Uh, I think this is how it's going to be mm. going on in the future. And uh, we need your help because, my I mean, this stuff's more expensive than we ever imagined when we got into it, isn't it? it oh, my gosh. Yeah. We we have like a, a, a team of staff yes. for, to make the Liturgist podcast happen. So it, right. And it's impossible without people's help. Yes. Well, hey, brother. And I've seen people love topology. I see, I see people talking about it all over online. So I'm sure they also would be more than happy to, out of the generosity and what they've received, maybe offer a little back. Well, everybody, I want you to listen to The Liturgists. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I want you to go listen to Ask Science Mike. You can go to Mike's website at Mike. AskScienceMike.com. Well, that's a wonderful URL. And you got to, <laughs> what, are you out speaking soon or what are you doing? Uh, I'm off through February. When February rolls around, I'm all over the road again. So yeah. That's me as well. And, of course, we share booking agents. We do. Jim Chafee at Chafee Management, C-H-A-F-F-E-E, management.com. So if you want to get Mike or I to speak at an event, you can always get a hold of Jim. He's a fine eight on the Enneagram. That would be more than happy (laughs) to... More than happy to to force you into a corner and make you book us. Mike, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank thank you, you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. 
Okay, now, let me just tell you why that show was so gratifying for me. First of all, I really like Mike, and, you know, that's it's always a delight to get on the horn with him or to run into him at a conference or, or wherever. But here's the deal. We started this show because we wanted to explore the mystery of the human personality, and I would just say the human, you know, just the person, and how, you know, we can use the Enneagram system as a tool to become our most authentic selves. Well, I think, we, I think Mike helped us exceed ourselves today. That, that's my feeling. I think, I think he ex- helped us exceed the mission. And I honestly, I, I think, you know, by whatever, for whatever reason, I just find that happening more and more in these conversations. These conversations are urgent. They're urgent because we're living in a time of so much conflict and so much, um, you know, uh, wrong action, uh, not right action. And a time of so much reactivity and low self-awareness. And man, I, I just can't say enough about how this tool, the Enneagram, can help people wake up, to spiritually wake up. Well, I've been preaching. I got to go. I love you, typology tribe. And remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Next week, everybody. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the show today with Ian and our guest, Science Mike. We'll be taking next week off for the holidays. But stay tuned, because in the new year, we have a lineup of amazing guests coming your way. Ian will be speaking with Joe Saxton and a two-part series with Michael Cusick. But in the meantime, for Ian Cron and myself, Anthony Skinner, we wish our typology friends a happy holidays. Happy holidays.